all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm not in the studio this morning, so I can't take your phone calls, but I'll answer some emails and share some tips on more healthy living. You can always email me a question at any time. Send it to fit at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy. We'll be back after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be answering some emails and also sharing some healthy living tips. So, Josie, thanks uh, for doing this. Um, We're going to start off with a couple of emails. Uh, I think that you got pretty much from uh, your Facebook page. Yes, yes. Comes in through my social media. I get lots of messages that way. I'm always happy to answer those. But if one person has that question, everybody probably has that question. So I'm happy to answer those today. All right. This first one asks about what a plant-based diet means. And does it mean that they can't eat meat? And I get that so much because we've kind of lumped plant-based in with the word vegan. And they're not the same thing. Now, certainly foods that are vegan will count as plant-based and plant-based foods will count as vegan, but they're, they're not quite the same. And I'll talk about why that is. So a plant-based diet really in essence just means that the plant foods are the focus of your plate. The way we tend to build plates um, in Mississippi and in the, in, in the U.S. is we pick our meat first, right? You know, our chicken or our steak or fish, shrimp, whatever. And then we throw a side item on there in a very small portion. And Over time, this has led to a higher calorie intake than we were really designed to do, and our waistlines have crept up from that. If we can switch the focus of our plate a little bit more to those side items and making those the main feature, and then using um, meat or other animal products as more of the side item or more of the garnish, then we wind up still being able to eat a full plate of food, feel satisfied, but ultimately not take in too many calories. So a a vegan diet is absolutely the exclusion of, of any animal product. So no meat, no fish, no seafood, no dairy, no eggs. Um, But that doesn't necessarily always mean that it's a healthier diet. Um, There are some uh, commercial cookies out there. I won't say their name, but they're chocolate and they have a cream filling. (laughs) (laughs) And they are considered vegan. Um, But that doesn't mean that they are a health food, right? Um, So they're not exactly equal with themselves. But, you know, it's interesting to think about the Mediterranean diet, which is largely recognized as as the best dietary pattern out there in terms of health. It was this year's winner as far as best diets, Um, as well as the DASH diet, which is, of course, a heart-healthy diet that's um, prescribed a lot by healthcare providers in the States. Both of those are considered plant-based diets because the focus is on plants and less focus on um, animals. So at the end of the day, it, it you know, if you never go completely plant-based and avoid all animal products, if we can just shift the portion sizes of our animals down, or what I like to say, one animal at a time. So we don't need the beef and the cheese and the bacon on our on our hamburger, because that's just a little too much saturated fat and cholesterol at one time. 
Um, I think a, maybe a popular myth might be, well, you know, if I don't have a lot of meat on my plate, it's not. I'm not going to feel full. I'm not going right. to get a full meal. We'll talk about that, if you would. Right. So our stomach, um, the way it largely recognizes satiety or the feeling of fullness is by how much stuff it has in it, like how much volume is in there. And so if we take a look at what 500 calories of different food types are, we can see that you know, 500 calories of oil is a very, very, very small amount in your stomach. So you're not going to feel full with that. 500 calories of cheese, again, is a small amount in your, in your stomach. You don't have to eat very much cheese to get that 500 calories. Um, meat, you get a little bit more, uh, you know, probably somewhere around a third to a half, half of your stomach size if you consumed 500 calories of meat. But at the end of the day, still not full. Um, but 500 calories of fruits, vegetables, and grains, you're busting out. I mean, you, the whole stomach is full all the way up to the top. So it's kind of a, a, a myth that the meat and cheese and fats are what are filling us up. It's really the things that are full of fiber and full of water that are what keep us full for longer periods of time. I teach a class actually called Full Plate Living, and that is the the um, foundation of that whole program is the fact that we want plates that are full of food so that we're full and satisfied and not hangry because nobody wants to be <laughs> nobody wants to be hangry and that's that's a, a diet mentality as well is I, I need to be hungry in order to lose weight um, and really shifting into choosing foods that are full of fiber because fiber have no calories and water which is also a large proportion of plants also have no calories. So you're able to fill up without filling out. Also, with a variety of vegetables, I, I you know, taste. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, t there's, there's so variety varied that mm -hmm. you can get some different tastes and textures when you eat vegetables. You absolutely can. And since moving to a completely plant-based lifestyle, which is the way I have chosen to eat, um, I'm discovering uh, the, how delicious fruits and vegetables are. You know, we tend to kind of get in a rut and you have mashed potatoes, green beans, and a salad. And that's kind of what the majority of us eat or, you know, throw some corn in there every now and then. But, you know, I mean, last night I had squash and zucchini, but I also had something called a chayote squash, which is, you know, something that we normally wouldn't pick up and use, but it's sitting there on the grocery shelf and it's delicious and it makes a great fiberful, low-calorie addition to meals. So it's really kind of um, and exciting for someone who likes to cook and getting to experiment with things that haven't traditionally been on the plate. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. Josie couldn't be in the studio this morning, so we're recording something ahead of time, and we're answering some questions that she got via Facebook, and also we're going to later in the hour maybe going to share some tips for healthy living. You can always send an email with your question to fit at mpbonline.org. This next one says, I've been having trouble with stomach pains when I eat certain foods but can't pinpoint any specific food groups. What's my next step? And that's a question I get a lot um, as well because people think it has to be one particular food group. Like, oh, it's the carbs that are doing it or it's the fat that's doing it or it's the dairy that's doing it. And sometimes it's not that easy to point to a particular group. Um, it may be food additives that are in some of these different products that we're eating or just the percentages of different things in the food. All right, let's take dairy, for example. Um, I get a lot of questions about um dairy and lactose intolerance in general. Um, and actually, with this person who sent me this message, I explored a little bit deeper, and there were some different dairy foods that were causing some issues with her and then some that, that weren't. And the lactose content in the different dairy foods varies. So milk and ice cream has have fairly high amounts of lactose in them. So if you're sensitive to that, that's going to cause some of those stomach pains. Now, your harder cheeses, so your Parmesan cheese, um, even some of your um, sharp cheddars that have been aged and matured out and dried out some, as well as your Greek yogurts are pretty doggone low in lactose. So folks that have a lactose sensitivity may be able to eat those and not have a problem. So that can be very confusing with folks who are trying to decide, should I eliminate dairy from my diet? And they're like, well, some dairy bothers me and some doesn't. It's probably not the the dairy protein that's bothering you. It's the, the milk sugar, the lactose, and that varies from product to product. Um, same with baked goods. You know, a lot of folks lump it into, is this a gluten 
problem, right? And absolutely there are folks out there that have, you know, gluten intolerances, diagnosed celiac disease that absolutely can't have gluten. Um, but a lot of times I ask folks to let, let's really look at what baked goods are causing problems in you and see if it's the dairy or see if it's something, I mean, see if it's the um, the gluten or is it something else? You know, is it um, does it have corn in it? Maybe it's the corn additive that, that is causing a problem in you. Does it have high fructose corn syrup in it, which can be highly inflammatory and cause issues in folks? So it might not be just saying, well, I can't have bread. Let's figure out what the bread is. Or I can't have gluten. Let's really figure out what is causing the problem. And that requires a partnership between healthcare provider and patient in keeping a detailed food log and really keeping track of when they have pains with with different foods. And then we'll do something called an elimination diet where we'll take those foods out um, and have a period of, of being symptom-free and then add, gradually add maybe one of those foods back in per week. You know, so if we think it's um, gluten, then we'll take that gluten out and then maybe add a small amount of gluten back in and see if we have any discomfort. If we don't, then maybe we add corn back in and see if we have any discomfort from that. So it's a, it's a process. It's not something that you're going to get done in one office visit. But when you're talking about quality of life and wanting people to enjoy foods and not feel like they can't have certain things, to me it's well worth the time to invest in making sure that we're only eliminating things that are actually causing problems. And, you know, we got a couple of minutes before our first break, but I've heard you say that a couple of times on the show, and that is um, that food is something that we shouldn't be afraid of. It shouldn't be, but it should be something that we should enjoy because we need it. So you might as well get some enjoyment. Right. You might as well enjoy it. it. You know, I always think back to. the Matrix. Do you remember the Matrix movie? Mm-hmm. You know, and like they they ate mush every day. It was like this gray gelatinous blob, but it was optimized for the perfect nutrition to sustain them. You know, but who wants to eat like that, right? You know, I mean, I don't want to eat this perfectly prepackaged goop that has all the nutrition I want, and I can get that from a variety of foods that also taste great. And so we want to make sure that folks are combining foods that, you know, have different textures that are crunchy. Some are soft, some are sweet, some are, you know, salty, different types of foods that so that our palate appreciates the bounty that we really have available for us and that we don't see food as a punishment. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. Today, uh, I'm talking with Dr. Josie Bidwell. We're going to answer some of the questions that she got on Facebook and also later in the show share some healthy eating tips. Uh, She's not in the studio. We're actually recording this ahead of time. Uh, But uh, just a reminder that if uh, you want a question answered, you can always send an email and you can send it to fit at mpbonline.org. We've got a couple more questions to answer. And as I said, we'll uh, talk about some healthy living tips uh, throughout the rest of the show. But let's take our first break. This is MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Runny, Healthy and Fit. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. And welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Kevin Farrell, Southern Remedy producer, here with Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. 
since Josie couldn't be in the studio this morning, we're actually recording this ahead of time, and we were answering some questions that uh, Josie had from her email, uh, from uh, Facebook, that is, and we're also going to share some healthy living tips throughout the hour as well. Just a reminder, if you ever have a question, you can always send an email to fit at mpbonline.org. So, uh, Josie, this next question here says that I have a super picky eater. She really has a problem with different textures and doesn't like mushy things. What can I do to get more fruits and vegetables into her diet? Well, I can totally uh, get on board with somebody who has a texture issue because I am the same way. So, you know, growing up a banana, I just couldn't I couldn't make myself eat a banana because of the mush, you know. Um, same deal with, um, like, yogurt that has fruit on the bottom. Like, I, I can't, I can't do that. It's like a fruit booger. I just can't, like, that's just a texture issue and I can't do it. And so the the deal with that is if you don't like it, don't eat it, you know. But let's explore different ways that we can utilize foods and see if we can find something that this, this child or if it's an adult that's a picky eater because those exist too. Um, would like and enjoy. So first of all, you know, vegetables are rather crisp, um, you know, when you you get them. And a lot of times folks think we have to cook them. Um, Vegetables, uh, most of them, a lot of them don't require cooking to eat them. Now, if you're going to have a potato or a sweet potato, those things do require some preparation and cooking that are going to give them a mushier texture. Um, but, you know, look at broccoli and cauliflower and carrots and squash and zucchini, radishes, all of the peppers, you know, all of those foods can easily be consumed raw. Um, they're going to actually maintain more of their nutrition that way anyway, because we tend to boil the heck out of our vegetables and lose all of the nutrition there. Um, So, you know, serve maybe a salad of, you know, raw veggies or veggies in a dip. Um, Kids love to dip things, you know, be cognizant of what you're dipping. You know, you don't want to give them a, you know, huge jug of ranch to just go to town on. Although if that's the only way they'll eat a carrot, I'm going to call that a win and move on. Um, But, you know, try different dips, you know, a hummus, um, which is a bean based dip. Actually, it's made from a chickpea or a garbanzo bean. So it's another way to get a veggie in there without them really perceiving it to be a veggie um, or a salsa. You know, I mean, salsa is just pureed up tomatoes, peppers, and onions. So, you know, serve that um, as a side dish and let them just dip away with that. Um, the other is if we're going to cook foods and we want to try and keep them from being mushy, stir fries are a great way to do that because you don't have to cook it to death. You know, you just chop up some different veggies. It's a great way to use up leftover veggies in the fridge. Like if you've got one or two carrots left or, you know, just a handful of broccoli, throw those in a stir fry. Don't cook them to death and then top them over some noodles or rice. And they've still got a nice good bite to them there. And then if they, you know, they don't want to chew at all, they can go the smoothie route. You know, smoothies are a great way to get, um, fruits in, but I encourage folks to think about how can I throw a veggie into this smoothie as well. Um, Especially if you're combining it with sweet fruits, you almost never taste the vegetable in there. I mean, you can throw, you know, fresh spinach or um, kale in there. It's going to give it a little green color, but I call it a Grinch smoothie and the kids kids drink it um, from that perspective. Um, You can throw beets in and it'll give it a pink color and then you can call it a princess smoothie, you know, different things like that to try and get veggies in. But the biggest thing with working with kids is don't make it a battle. Like don't make it so much of an issue because what we don't want to do is set kids up to have an unhealthy relationship with food. And when we stress them out over different things and eating certain ways, we're really teaching them that Food should have negative emotions associated with it. And as I say almost every week, food is just food. You know, it should be enjoyed, but it shouldn't be a punishment and it shouldn't be used um, as a stress reliever either. Lots of good stuff there. A couple of things I wanted to follow up on. Uh, first of all, uh, you talked about when you boil vegetables mm-hmm. a lot that they can, tend to lose a little bit of their nutrition. So, um, as you said, maybe stir fry or if you're going to boil them, just kind of cut back and what is it? I think al dente they call it when you yes, have pasta. Yes, it's got a little little tooth, toothness <laughs> to it. Um, it's got a little bite still left in it there. Um, or roasting is one of the ways that I really enjoy them, uh, especially in the summertime because I don't like to have a whole lot of pots out on the stove. With It just gets hot in there and I'm just not in the mood for it. Or grilling. Actually, I grilled mushrooms out last night and that was a good way um, to get those done. But, you know, 
if you really enjoy them being softer on the inside, then roasting is probably going to be the better option there because you really are going to have to boil them to death. And then when you look at the liquid that you're draining off of it, I mean, take broccoli, for instance. I mean, that water's green. So, I mean, all of all of your good stuff just went out in that water. Now, I've heard folks say they go and water their plants with that um, liquid, and, um, you know, and then they do well because all the nutrients were in that water um, there when you did that. But, yeah, just not cooking our foods, just slap to death. We don't have to obliterate stuff. Uh, I did Blue Apron for a long time, yeah. and there was a lot of vegetable roasting, which I had never done before. Mm-hmm. But, boy, I, I really enjoyed that. So mm-hmm. I, that's that's a good way to do that. Another thing that you said when you talked about uh, the the dipping and if you mm-hmm. had ranch, if that's the only thing the kid will eat, go for it. Mm-hmm. And, again, that whole idea of being practical uh, because you can't force a kid to eat something they're not going to eat. And, as you said, as, as long as they're dipping the carrot in there, they're getting right. something good. Right, right. And, I mean, the same deal goes with, you know, oatmeal for breakfast. I have, you know, moms who say, well, they really really like chocolate. You know, can I sprinkle a couple of chocolate chips on the top? I mean, you got to think they're getting a big bowl of nutritious whole grains. If you sprinkle a teaspoon of mini chocolate chips on top of that, that's not the end of the world. You know, I mean, we definitely don't want them turning to something sweet all of the time, but that's going to beat a Pop-Tart any day of the week. You know, so it's what I try and teach are healthier choices. So it may not be the healthiest um option that we could do, but it's what we can fit into our lifestyle that's a better choice than than maybe something we would have done in the past that's going to give some nutrition um, to to our our growing bodies, whether it be a kid or whether it be an adult. And you mentioned the idea of of not making it a battle so that kids don't grow up with sort of a negative attitude uh, about food. Do you give in to them or is it more of a negotiation? Um, Well, I usually tell... (laughs) Tell my eight-year-old I don't negotiate with terrorists. Um, That's that's what he acts like sometimes. Um, But kids, especially kids in in that age range, that kind of young school age group, they're struggling for independence and trying to figure out who they are um, as little human beings. And so nobody likes to be told what to do. You know, I mean, nobody. And that just because you're a kid doesn't mean you enjoy that any more than anyone else does. So giving options as much as we can. And, you know, I I think back to uh, how I taught nursing students. You know, if you've got got to get a urine sample from a kid and you've got to start an IV, you don't go in and say, can I start an IV? Because the kid's going to be like, uh, no. You know, you say, I got to get some TT and I got to, we got to do a little poke. Which one do you want to do first? You know, so you you set them up with choices, but either choice they make is going to be going in your direction, right? You know, so when we're dealing with, when I'm dealing with my son, I'll say, okay, we can have apple slices or a banana, you know, as our, our side item in our lunch today. So it's giving him a choice, but neither one of them are going to be terrible for him Um, and letting them um, plan some of the menus you know like a kids cook night is always a good idea and you know pizza is usually a crowd pleaser from that perspective so we just start with plain shells start with some tomato sauce and then set out different toppings there and so you can still have some of the favorites that they enjoy you have some pepperoni on there but you know maybe you have some mushrooms and some peppers and um, you know some different things on there and as they see you choose some of those things and put on your pizza, then they may not even try it the first couple times. But over time, they'll be like, all right, I'll sprinkle a little of that on there, you know, and act like a chef and try it. Um, So, you know, we usually always have one thing at the table that I ask them to try. Um, And if they don't like it, it's okay. You know, I mean... I think a lot of times kids, we force them to eat all of your broccoli. You've got to eat it all, right? (laughs) If you don't like it, why eat it? But you got to try it. You can't just say, I don't like it without trying it. You got to at least lick it and then say, I don't, I don't like that. And then, you know, don't give up after one time, you know, continue to serve that item two or three times. And it may be six months later where they go, you know what? That tastes pretty good. Um, so a, a picky eating then, if for parents that might be listening, it's not just their kid. I mean, it's just oh something that's gosh, kind of a natural it's, thing. It's, you know, uh, I, everybody asks me, they're like, your kids must eat the healthiest food. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Um, you know, because kids are, are their own little beings. And, you know, there's always going to be some degree of pickiness in there. And some of that's just them asserting their, their independence there. But... You know, there are kids out there who eat everything you put on their plate. I have never met them. Um, the, 
uh, far more kids I see being picky or I don't even know if picky is the word I would use it. They would just be um, they only have two or three foods that they eat and they eat them in phases. You know, I get questions all the time. They're like, all my kid eats is yogurt and waffles <laughs> and that's all they'll eat for a week at a time. All right, you're getting some grains, you're getting some dairy, you're getting some protein, not the end of the world. Don't stress out about it because I've never met a 35-year-old that only eats waffles and yogurt. So, you know, they're going to expand and try different things. So it can you can feel very alone when you're a parent um, dealing with kids who have um, food-specific uh, tendencies and don't like to d- eat different things. Um, but try not to let it stress everyone out because then again we just associate stress with food and that's not the connection that we want to make how important is it for adults to model good eating practices for their kids in any health um, practice whether it be exercise whether it be not watching the tv all day long and you know using your cell phone and devices so much or food kids look to adults to learn about the world i mean that's that's how they learn how to interact with other people, how to be productive members of society, and how to see what's important. And so um, when they see you making healthier choices, they may not be ready to make that choice, but they at least identify that this is important to my person, right? So the person that they are learning how to be a human from, it's important to them. I mean, I really see that with exercise. You know, I mean, if they see that it's important to you to get up and move, they're more likely to get up and move as well. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. And today, because Josie couldn't join us in studio, she and I are recording an episode ahead of time. And we're talking about uh, some healthy eating tips and also uh, answering some questions that Josie got through her Facebook account. If you'd like to send an email to get a qu- your question answered, it's fit at mpbonline.org. We'll have more healthy eating tips for you when we get back. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm the producer of the show, Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Josie couldn't be in studio for this episode, so we're actually recording in advance, and we've been uh, talking about some healthy living and healthy eating tips, and we'll continue to do that through the rest of the show. You can always send your questions about healthy eating and healthy living to fit at mpbonline.org. Org. So, Josie, in the last uh, segment, we were talking about picky eaters and that sort of thing, and it's, uh, had a couple more. I mean, to me, it's really so interesting. Had a couple more uh, questions that I wanted mm-hmm. to follow up on, uh, and one of them is that I know as an adult, there are a lot of things that I absolutely love that as a kid I would have gone that right. Even as a young kid, maybe a, a child that's a preteen, teenager, that sort of thing, do taste do our tastes evolve throughout our lives? Oh, absolutely. So, and I'll just use myself, cucumbers. So, I'll, up until last year, and I mean, I won't say how old I am, but up until last year, I could not stand a cucumber. I mean, just disgusting. And I don't know, something got wound up on my sandwich or something, and I was like, this isn't that bad. And then I had them again. These are delicious. And so now I absolutely adore cucumbers. So that's one of the things I tell folks is, you know, don't give up on a food if it's been many years since you've tried it um, or if you've only tried it one way um, because 
cooking them different ways or not cooking them at all um, is going to change the texture and the taste of different foods. So our taste buds do change. You know, when I was a little kid, you could not have paid me enough to take greens, like turnip greens, collard greens, cabbage, any of that kind of stuff. No, thank you. And I adore them now. You know, I mean, when my mom comes down to visit, the thing I ask her to make is, is skillet cabbage. Like, that's what I want. I want skillet cabbage with some cornbread, you know, um, and that's what I uh, enjoy. But I would not have touched it with a 10-foot pole uh, when I was little. Um, and you said the idea of what, uh, to sort of get kids to try food, but if they don't like it, to, to not give up. And I think is it possibly because kids have these things, well, I know I like this, but this is something different. So there might be that whole just not afraid, but just reluctant to try new things. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you also have to think about the, the smell of foods, you know, because cooked broccoli has a very uh, dirty diaperish smell to it, <laughs> Some depending on how long it's been cooked for. Um, and so some kids may be just put off by the smell immediately, and so they're not going to try it from that perspective. Whereas, a, you know, raw broccoli doesn't have that smell to it at all. And so when you're introducing new vegetables in, you may want to think about that and start with something that might not be as weird looking um, or as smelly when we start to try and get them to, to branch out and try things. And, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but part of I think the sensation of eating is not just the flavor, but it is the smell, it's the texture, it's the color. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, there's that saying, you eat with your eyes first. And that has several different meanings. Um, you know, I mean, if you've got something that is a beautiful plate of food, then you're automatically kind of a little bit more excited to eat it than if it was just a scoop of, of mush, right? <laughs> um, but also, you know... Think about, I remember the first time I went to a fancy restaurant and I ordered shrimp and it came with the head on it with the little eyeballs looking at me. And I was like, I'm not eating that because it's looking at me. You know, so presentation of the food is important. Um, We want it to look nice. um, And that, you know, one of the things we can do with that is play on different colors. You know, vegetables and fruits have a bountiful amount of colors in them, and we tend to eat plates of food that are just brown. You know, they're just varying shades of brown. You know, it's chicken, gravy, taters, and they're all brown. And that can be rather boring to to look at. So if we just throw a green something in there or a nice red pepper or something like that, automatically our eyes are a little bit more interested in what it is we're um, going to eat. And then... Um, portion size, um, people can get a little irritated at, at what is considered an appropriate portion size. And from the visual aspect of looking at it on these ginormous dinner plates that we eat on, um, it can make you feel like you're not going to be full and satisfied. So, I mean, if you take a you know a 10 to 12 inch dinner plate, which are, are the standard size plates, and you put, you know, a half a cup of um, pasta on that, that is looks just like a little tiny spit of pasta. And so your brain is already thinking this is not enough food to satisfy me. And you start the plate mad. Um, if you move to a smaller plate, you know, let's say uh, you know, even an 8-inch plate, 7, 8-inch plate somewhere along in there, and you again put those same si- sizes of foods, the same amount on that, visually there's not as much dead space or as much white space on the plate and you're and your brain actually perceives it as as more bountiful than it was on the big plate. So sometimes that um, can help in just changing down to a smaller uh, plate, not a saucer. That's what I hear a lot when I take, they're like, that's a tea saucer. It's not a tea saucer. It's the middle plate in the dish set. Um but the beauty of going to a more plant-based is um, those fiber-full foods, you can use that on a, on, a, on a big plate, you know, and still be able to eat larger portions of that. It's the, the richer, uh, more animal-based uh, products that are just going to have more calories per, per square inch and, uh, and can easily outpace your calorie goal. A couple more kid-related things, and then we'll move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked earlier in that other segment that we did about uh, getting kids involved in preparing the food. So what are some ways, and obviously you probably don't want to let the kid loose with a butcher knife in the kitchen. No, let's not do that. Uh, but what are some ways that you could get the kids involved to feel like they're part of, mm-hmm. of what they're getting to eat? Uh, well, it depends on the age of the kid, but even little ones, you know, I mean, even three-year-olds can tear things, right? So maybe you're making a big salad, and so you can have 
have them help wash those salad greens. And then instead of cutting them, just have them kind of tear up the lettuce in different um, different zigzag patterns and throw in there. They feel like they're helping with that, you know. And then as they get a little bit bigger and have a little bit more um, fine motor control, then they can do mixing for you. You know, you're still in charge of the chopping and dumping, but they can stir for you. Or if you um, measure things out, I know my kids absolutely adored being in charge of the measuring cup. So I would measure it and then give it to them and they would dump it in the bowl. So, you know, just kind of matching the steps that you give them in with their development um, is where you want to be. And then once they get a little older, I mean, I've got an 11-year-old now, and he helps chop, you know. Um, I never chop at the same time as him. Like, I'm going to stop and focus on what he's doing so that I can make sure he's holding the knife correctly and that his fingers are out of the way and all of those different types of things. Um, but we got to teach kids life skills. And, you know, if we, we let them get to college and have never showed them how to cut a vegetable, <laughs> they're not going to eat a vegetable. You know, they're going to they're gonna go through the drive through So we can't be scared of those types of things. And then folks say, well, let's give them a really dull knife. Well, dull knives slip more than sharp knives do, and they'll actually get more injury that way. So just be present with your kid. Um, talk to them about the food that you're choosing. You know, even if they're not going to eat that particular food, you know, I talk to them about why or you know, why mommy is choosing to add these vegetables to the plate and what they do in terms of health. And, you know, my kids will proudly tell you that's a protein or that's a carb, you know, because they're able to identify those things. And so that just starts an, a nice basis with nutrition and understanding what the foods are, even if they're not ready to eat them yet. And, you know, with Chop Jr. and all the other shows that we see young kids on TV mm-hmm. cooking, getting them active in helping meal preparation might kind of ignite a passion that would be lifelong. Oh, absolutely. So uh, Chopped is one of our favorite things to watch. We love we love the Food Network, and we watch it all the time. Of course, uh, we had to watch Chop and Root for uh, our Mississippi chef when he was on Chopped. Um, but, you know, not every kid has to go and be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, things like that. Culinary Uh, training is a great career path, you know, and that's exposing kids to the fact that that can be a career choice for them. You know, I just got back from New Orleans and doing culinary medicine training. So, you know, we're actually now starting to marry the two and to learn how to cook for health, you know, and so there's so many different crossovers we have there. But even if they never, you know, pursue a career in, in culinary arts, being able to put together a nutritious meal is not only going to be um, uh, more likely to get you a date, probably, if you're <laughs> – maybe I shouldn't teach my kids how to cook. <laughs> Too late. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a life skill so that when they are a young adult, they don't turn to the drive through for every single meal. They're able to put together delicious, flavorful meals that are not complicated because nobody has time for complicated stuff. Uh, Also, last segment, you briefly mentioned smoothies. So if you Mm. could maybe give us a quick smoothie recipe. Okay. All right. So my favorite um, smoothie right now, so I'm in the smoothie bowls right now. So so instead of putting it in my cup and drinking it, put it in a bowl, eat it with more like a spoon. It's great for the hot weather right now. Um, So I do frozen bananas because when you freeze a banana and you blend it up, it turns into like ice cream. I mean, it's it's really thick and creamy and nice. You also get rid of that mushy texture associated <laughs> with, with um, bananas. Frozen pineapple. And then um, either frozen strawberries or um, right now I'm really digging pa- um, dragon fruit and passion fruit in my smoothies. But anyway, so any type of frozen fruit that you would want. My favorites are usually um, strawberries, bananas, and pineapple. Um, and then you want something to make it move around in the blender, right? Some kind of liquid. A lot of folks will go for a juice at this point and add in their smoothies. I I try not to do that because juice is just really um, the fruit stripped of all its fiber, right? And fiber is what keeps us full, what fills us up and doesn't run our blood sugar up. When we juice it, we get rid of all that fiber. And so now it's just kind of liquid sugar. So I would either move to 
um, a dairy if you wanted to put that in there, so a skim milk or something like that. Or if you're dairy-free like me, um, an almond milk or a soy milk in there um, to get that zhuzhing around and going. If protein is your goal, then you throw a little bit of protein powder in there if you need that or a Greek yogurt. And then a handful of spinach goes in mine and it gets zhuzhed around and it's absolutely delicious. All right. I've got a couple minutes left in this segment. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about kids, uh, but adults sometimes also find out that they're not eating as much uh, vegetables as maybe they think they should. Do the same sorts of things apply when you're an adult is trying try new things that sort of thing yeah you know i get a lot of adults um that come in and they're like i just don't like vegetables and i'm fairly stubborn and i'm like i refuse to believe you don't like any vegetables you know so what i ask them to start with is i want you to make three lists for me i want you to make a list of vegetables that you know you like you know, even if it's three things on there, which is usually green beans, corn, and potatoes. That's what that's the <laughs> list I get back. All right? Well, we can work with that, right? Then I want you to make a list of things you know you absolutely cannot stand, right? Um, and that, for me, is beets and rutabaga. I've tried them multiple ways. I just don't enjoy them. So I'm not going to eat them, and that's okay. And then I want you to make a list of things that you think you don't like. But either you haven't tried them, you just think you don't like them, or you've only tried them one way. And so then from that, what I'm going to ask you to do is on a week-by-week basis, so not every day, but pick one of those things from the list you think you don't like and try it. Um, And if you try it and you don't like it, that's fine. Cross it off. But, you know, I mean, I have so many folks who are like, I don't like asparagus. I'm like, okay, well. Have you tried it this way? Well, I've never actually tried it before. They just think they don't like it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and oftentimes that stems from maybe a negative experience they had as a child, like Brussels sprouts. I mean, people are very polarized on Brussels sprouts. They're like, <laughs> I, you know, they were just this boiled little ball of goo when I was little, and I'm not eating that. Um, and oftentimes people find that there are at least two or three veggies on that list that they thought they didn't like that they really do. And so, you know, if we can get a good list of, you know, six, seven veggies that you like, I mean, we can build some meals off of that and rotate those around. Pick at least one that you like and have that, you know, at at lunch and dinner. And just experiment with different ways to get those in there. But keep trying. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't enjoy something, for crying out loud, don't eat it. You know, food is delicious. All right, time for one last break this hour. When we get back, we'll have some more healthy eating tips. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. Kevin Farrell, the producer of the show, here with our regular host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. We'll be back to wrap things up after this last break. podcast. And welcome back to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm the producer of the show, Kevin Farrell, here with your regular host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Josie couldn't be in studio for this episode, so in advance, we are recording an episode, and we have been talking about some healthy eating tips. We started the show uh, by answering some of the questions that uh, Josie got on her Facebook page, and now in this last segment... Some things I came up with, so we'll probably go way off the deep end here, but uh, got about nine minutes left in the show. We'll run through some of these. And the first one is, I, I guess I need to uh, brag a little bit. Um, you know, I have struggled with eating healthy. I've kind of gone back and forth, and sometimes I do better. Sometimes I really kind of fall off the wagon and that sort of thing. But since I've been the producer of this show, you really have kind of inspired me to Yay. try to help think about it and, and sort of move in that general direction. One of the things that I did was I'm trying to replace my soda 
with water when I go out to eat. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to be honest, and I'm saying I'm not getting rid of soda completely mm-hmm. as yet, but I'm wanting to maybe when I go out to eat, get water instead of soda. Are the little small steps, are the simple things helpful, and does that kind of point us in the right direction? The simple things are the only thing that work. You know, when we try to drastically overhaul everything or make these really wide sweeping changes, that rarely works. Now, I mean, there's always going to be one or two folks out there that that, you know, they had success doing it that way and great. But the majority of folks are not going to be able to sustain these massive changes over time where if you say, you know, I'm, I'm only going to eat um orange food. You know, I mean, I've seen folks that do that, or I'm never going to have a soda, you know, things like that. That often sets folks up with, again, a negative association with food, where if you have a soda, you then uh, have the guilt associated with doing that. So small changes, which are what um, I teach in all of my group classes, as well as individual visits with patients, is is where we go. And, you know, they'll come in and we'll have, you know, this hour-long appointment And instead of um, leaving with a prescription for medication, what they often leave with is a a prescription for a food change. And it's usually an addition is what I have them do, um, is adding something to your plate. Because we're so used to being being told we've got to take something away um, that, um, you know, again, that as as a human, the way we're built, we automatically go, you can't tell me what to do, you know, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna eat it anyway, you know. Um, so I try and think of things we can add to um, the diet that are gonna have really good nutrition benefits. But they're also gonna make us ultimately consume less of the bad things. So I mean, one of my favorite prescriptions to write for is berries. So you know, dark berries are an amazing addition to the, the diet. Um, they don't have a ton of um, blood. Sp- blood sugar spikes associated with berries. Um, And they've got a ton of antioxidants, which are great for the chronic inflammation that's underlying a lot of our medical issues. So I write a prescription all the time that's berries. One half cup uh, raw or a quarter cup dry every day forever, just like you would get a prescription for blood pressure medicine. Um, I write it out that way. Um, And they go, this is is all you want me to do? (laughs) Yes, this is all I want you to do. Like, I'm going to call you in a week and I'm going to see how we're doing with that. Um, and oftentimes it's just them then realizing that, yes, I can do something that makes them a little bit more um, uh, open to making a, a slightly bigger change. But um, beverage choice is one of the ones we start with um, automatically when I have someone who's you know, drinking a lot of soda, whether that be a regular soda or a diet soda. Um, you know, I'm trying to help folks get off of those as well. And I start with how many of those are we drinking a day? Um, and oftentimes they say one. And I'm like, what size? You know, and I'll show them like <laughs> here, here, here. And, you know, so it may be one, but it's 24 ounces of, of soda, you know, in that one soda that they have. Um, and so, you know, instead of saying, let's, you can't have any, no sodas for you, then, you know, let's cut back to, you know, maybe 16 ounces of soda and add in an extra one or two glasses of water and see if you miss it. You know, initially you may miss it a little bit, but after a couple of days, shouldn't really have that much of an appreciable difference because it's it's a small amount, but you're healthier, right? And so then we just continue to kind of wean it down some, knowing that every now and then if you have one, it's not the end of the world, but the main beverage choice is water. Well, you know, that's interesting because that was my thing was like, oh, I enjoy the taste of soda so much with mm-hmm. my food. If I, if I do, and I do drink water, I like water, but I always thought, well, it's not going to be the same. And mm-hmm. so sort of what we were talking about earlier in the show, that idea of I, I don't like something. Well, have you ever tried it? No, I just know I don't like it. Right. It was the same sort of thing. And then funny was I was eating out somewhere and after wearing headphones for 35 years, my hearing is not as good as it should be. <laughs> and so when the guy went through the soda choices, I didn't hear what he said. So instead of saying, what was that? I said, I'll try the water. That's right. And I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it was fine. And so I really, I really am going to try to do that again. I I can't say on the air right now, sodas are gone, but I really am going to try to make an effort to cut down on them. And as you said, maybe over time, begin to wean them off Mm -hmm. even more. Right. But that brings up uh, when you're trying to keep track of calories and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing in your diet. Don't forget about the things that you're drinking. Oh, absolutely. You know, actually, I had a patient I was working with recently who, you know, I do a 24-hour diet recall on on everyone that I'm working with if if their goal is to change something nutrition-wise or to lose weight. And looking at breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks, her diet was not not terrible. You know, I mean, there were 
wasn't this glaring, you know, I eat three fast food meals and a bucket of chicken, you know. And so then we had to switch and say, okay, what are you drinking with these meals, you know? And so there was some water thrown in there. There weren't even any sodas thrown in there. It was juice. And so when, uh, which is something that's largely thought of as the healthier choice, right? And so, you know, very rarely do I like for folks to count calories because it's a drag to, to count things like that. But, you know, I kind of whipped out my app and I said, I just want to put in the amount of juice that you're consuming so we can we can just have an objective measurement to look. It was 1,970 calories wow. of juice. And so when you look at the fact that most women, if their weight, if weight loss is the desired goal, then somewhere around 1,500 to 1,800 calories is the, the goal that we're going to shoot for in terms of, of the calories. Um, for men, somewhere around 2,000, 2,200, somewhere along in there. Um, and you've got almost 2,000 of it coming from juice. There's there's nothing I can do from a diet perspective that's going to to make you from a food perspective that's going to make you lose weight if that amount of your calories are coming from a juice, you know. So we didn't change anything about our diet um, other than working on beverage selection at that point in time and trying to ultimately get her down to no more than four to six ounces of juice per day. So we did things like fruit-infused waters or... um, adding, you know, an ounce or two of juice and then pouring sparkling water in on top of that so that we still get the flavor that she was enjoying from that, um, but not as many calories that are just really empty. Okay, we've got just a a minute or two left. We've talked a lot about eating, but also I think part of the healthy living, too, is exercise. And Mm -hmm. I remember on a a show a couple of months ago, it's just the idea of getting up, getting more active, Mm -hmm. moving around. Mm -hmm. So if you would, maybe in this last uh, minute and a half, tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about activity. Well, you've got to have it. You know, the the folks who lose weight and keep the weight off are the ones who make exercise a part of their daily routine. But it doesn't have to be formal exercise. I mean, you don't have to join a gym. You don't have to throw weights around. You don't have to hire a personal trainer. You don't have to come take one of my Zumba classes. That's okay. We just want you up and doing some things. And that can just be walking around the block. Just get up and do something that you enjoy. All right. Josie, thanks for coming in this afternoon and uh, getting this done. Uh, We'll be back in studio next week, and we'll be back to our regular show where you can call in. You always bring in really uh, great guests and and have a lot of good information every Monday morning at 11 on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.